I'm Lynn Wolf, and welcome to this edition of our Rural Lifestyle Dealer podcast series, Building Profits Through Retail. Today's program features Jennifer Robison of Robison Retail Results, sharing how to create a retail space that draws in customers and encourages them to buy more. Jennifer is admired in the industry as an expert who delivers interesting and usable strategies in the areas of space planning, visual merchandising, and sales. This podcast is brought to you by Yanmar. I encourage you to subscribe to this series, currently available in iTunes, the Google Play Store, SoundCloud, Stitcher Radio, and TuneIn Radio. Or if you have another app you use for listening to podcasts, let us know and we'll make an effort to get it listed there as well. Subscribing means you will receive an alert about upcoming episodes when they are released. Thank you to Yanmar for bringing us this podcast. Don't settle for less when you can have more. For example, Yanmar makes all its compact tractors major drivetrain components, the Yanmar engine, transmission and axles, all in-house. Because they're made to work perfectly together, you and your customers get a hardworking machine with more usable horsepower, less power loss, and a smoother, more comfortable ride. Yanmar's tractors are designed to work as hard as you do for a lifetime. Strengthen your dealership today with Yanmar. Email them at agmarketing at yanmar.com or call 770-877-9894. Dealers tell us that they often struggle presenting a professional retail experience. Some say they don't have time, don't have the expertise, or would rather focus on other areas of their dealership. Too often then, the showroom doesn't offer the experience your customers deserve. In today's Rural Lifestyle Dealer podcast, brought to you by Yanmar, Jennifer Robison shares what she's learned from her 15 years in the retail segment, where she's revamped dozens of small and large dealership showrooms. For uh, almost 30 years in um, working with power sports retail and retail, uh, I started out in the 80s. I worked at a car dealer. I was in the motorcycle business shortly after that, riding motorcycles, learning that business. Um, but my original background is growing up on a farm back in Northwest Ohio in Fulton County. My dad, you know, uh, raised soybeans and corn and had dairy cows. And my first job uh, at five was feeding cows. And I worked with my grandmother in her Montgomery Ward's store in Archibald, Ohio, a little bit as a youngster. And, um, but I just made my way into power sports in my uh, early 20s, and uh, it stuck with me. And I enjoyed working through the Harley-Davidson Dealer Network uh, and for a local dealer in Seattle. I've lived in Seattle for 32 years. And, um, you know, I just find myself, you know, on this path, which has always been associated with, you know, merchandising and selling and um, space allocation. Now, can you comment just on the idea overall about the retail space and why it's so important for dealerships to have a a clean, attractive and a purchase friendly space? Well, you know, 
I don't want people to think that I think a retail space should be extremely sterile or, um, and, and I realize that the kind of retail that a lot of us are in is um, we serve a market of people that, that are workers that are working to, you know, their job is to, it's work. So when I say the space has to be clean or clutter free or neat, it just has to be shoppable, right? It has to be organized in a way that makes sense. It has to be where you can sense the product. It's not about, you know, how white your walls or what floor color you chose. Do you see the product? Is it accessible? Um, does it inspire you to buy, especially if you're waiting on sales staff to help you? You know, there's two types of buying that happens in the retail zone, and that's the purchasing you do on your own because you discover product when you're in the store. And then there's the the sale that happens at the counter where you're asking for something that you need, like an application, like I need an oil filter or I need a nut or I need, you know, uh, any number of parts. There's two, two different things. And that's why a showroom has to look and feel a certain way because if people aren't attracted to the other products you're selling, you're missing out on sales. What have you found in your experience in terms of the misconceptions that dealers have about how their space should look? Maybe some of the things that they're just doing wrong. Well, no, nobody's doing anything wrong. They know, they know what they know or they're copying something that they know. But sometimes I find that um, dealers, whether it's in PowerSport or Marine or e even in the green stores, they, they model themselves after a retailer that isn't in the same kind of retail that they're in. So sometimes it doesn't work. So the color choices or the type of fixtures that are used or most importantly, lighting tends to be um, not productive to what they're trying to do. It doesn't matter the size of your space or the, how much budget you have, but if the store is dark or if the store is not accessible or the products rather aren't accessible, that's where we run into problems. So I try not to, to impose any rules on anybody about their showroom, but if it doesn't feel right, it doesn't feel right to your customer either. So when you go into a dealership, can you talk about how you evaluate what's happening in their retail space and, and how to give them direction on what they should be doing? You always have to be very careful about that. Um, I can immediately sense the space. That's one of the things, you know, that I have internally in me is I don't think people operating stores or designing stores well, hopefully designers do, but you, you don't always understand how the space occurs to the shopper. Like, is it too big? Is it too loud? Is it too dark? Is it too cluttered? Is it too fancy? I mean, if, if some stores are too fancy, then customers perceive you as being too expensive. You know, where's the balance in what you're, you're putting into your retail space um, planning um, so that it's all about the product, it's not really about the store, and they have the best experience and they're able to buy more than they expected to buy when they came to your store. So when you would walk into a, a retail space that, that you think works, that has all of the, those good elements, can you maybe walk us through kind of how that might look? Yeah, that's, so here's what I do with, with my clients when we're looking at the store the very first, there's two things we could do, but the very first thing to do, and you can do this yourself, is you start in the parking lot. 
you know, simply drive into your store and instead of going in the back door or the side door where you might normally go, go through the front door, park like a customer, stop and pause, look around. You know, I usually stop at the front door and make them look around like, do we have, you know, what's the condition of the outside of the building? That's the beginning stages. Is is it well kept outside? And a lot of retailers do, but I have a bunch of retailers that haven't put any mulch down, haven't trimmed any of the plants, probably haven't striped the parking lot, or the front door is just covered with greasy fingerprints or stickers, things that are outdated, or there's a cracked window that's had a, you know, duct tape on it. I mean, it's the details that really send the first message to customers. And and let me start by saying that when they're looking at the outside or the inside, it doesn't matter. Customers know when something is, isn't quite right, when it doesn't feel right to them, but they're never going to verbalize it. No, no customer is ever going to come up to you and say, Hey, I really like you guys, but your store doesn't look so good. It just doesn't feel right to me or it's too dark or you ever thought about cleaning it up. I try to take, you know, my clients through what I think a customer is experiencing. Now, you also have to understand that you have customers that are first timers or early to your bit new to your business and you have customers that are regulars. Regulars know who you are and they kind of put up with your with, you know, whoever you are, you know, if you give good service and your store isn't so pretty, you know, is it a big deal? No, but could you be selling more if your store was a little bit more put together? Probably. So that's what I, I usually take the psychology. We go in the front door. Are the rugs, you know, 12 years old and you can't even tell what brand they are anymore? Do they need to be thrown away and get a new rug service? Um, are there dead plants in the window? Have you changed any of the displays? Are the boxes faded? Has, does the product ever move? Is there a, a bevy of dust? And, and of course, there always is with stores in the kind of work that we do because the doors stay open a lot a lot of times. But there's a lot of little details that sometimes get get overlooked, and and I try to walk the, my clients through that so that we can address some things that I think are the most important things because a lot of the stuff that a dealer needs to do isn't particularly costly in money. It's costly in a little bit more time. So now we've walked into the dealership and and had that first impression. Um, What about now when you get further into the, the retail space, what, what kinds of things work in terms of the customer experience? Well, in a kind of, now this also is dependent upon what kind of products you sell. But you know, if you're selling lawn equipment and you're selling UTVs or tractors or anything else, obviously those are the items you constantly want to um, promote in your showroom. And you want to change the layout on that stuff. You don't you don't want to get married to the same layout year after year after year. It tends to happen. Sales managers, owners, no, we like it this way some cases you have to leave the layouts the way they are because you can't pull the tractor in or out because of where a garage door is located. That's a different problem. But if the showroom looks the same year after year after year, even though it's neat and tidy, people get bored with it and they just kind of forget to shop, you know, other parts of the store. Because our job, I mean, if you've gone to the trouble of having a store, right, and flooring product, you really need to have your customers come in and shop more of the store even if they're regulars, even if they're there monthly or weekly, and they're only coming in, talking to their favorite sales rep or or the owner, or coming to the parts counter and leaving, that's a pretty small footprint um, 
for them. And we really want people to navigate more of the store, which is difficult with a male shopper because male shoppers just, you know, they're very task oriented where a woman shopper will tend to, to scan the whole entire store. And, and if you watch customers do that, you'll see it. Even if you sell lawn equipment, like I can't, if my husband is waiting at line, you know, at the John Deere store for a, a, a part, and um, I'm never standing there with him. It's too boring for me. So I have to go look, you know, oh, look at the safety equipment they have. Oh, Mike, do you know they have new trimmers? Oh, do you see they have an attachment for this thing that we bought last year? I can't stand stand in one spot. So understand that, you know, the two genders shop your store differently and we'll navigate more of it. And we have to do our best to get more male shoppers to stay, get off the main path and go to other parts of the store. Does that does that make sense to you? Yeah, definitely. So, are they? How are you getting that to happen? Is it a matter of product placement throughout the store and changing that up, or or how are you getting? Yeah. Okay. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. You, well, product placement, fixture placement, brand placement, whatever your brand anchors are. You know, if you are carrying some significant brands and they've taken up a, a particular wall space and you're anchored there, then you can't always change that. Sometimes you can, and if you can, do it. But yes, it's all about, and it's also seasonality, you know, your end caps. Do you, number one, have end caps on the way to your parts counter? And what are on those end caps and do you ever change them? You've got to change that stuff. Especially when we're, you go into the winter season, maybe when you're storing equipment and you want to have everything so that you can put that equipment away um, and store it and put stable in it and, you know, um, tend to the batteries and those kind of things. All of that stuff does change pretty seasonally. I'm used to heavy season changes in the power sport industry because that is a, a big part. Um, every three months, there's something different, you know, going on and in each region and maybe not so much in the equipment business. But I know you guys sell a lot of novelty items. Um, you know, the, there are so many cool toys and collectibles and other items that you might want to push forward. And then another time of the year, you might want to push those back into another area. You just got to keep it. You got to keep it flowing and keep it interesting. And a lot of people tend to stick with the same merchandising year after year. They like it. And they just go, no, it works. And then, you know, we can kind of make fun of the guys a little bit. Guys hate stuff to be moved. I liked it there. I knew where it was. <laughs> and unfortunately, you got to mix that stuff up once in a while. If it's, if, it's, if it's bread and butter items, you don't have to move it as much. If it's seasonal, fashionable, novelty, you know, very short window, um, shelf life product, we've got to move it more often. We'll rejoin Jennifer's discussion, but I did want to take a moment and again thank our sponsor, Yanmar, for making this program possible. Using ever-advancing technology, Yanmar continuously strives to exceed customer expectations and deliver exceptional lifetime value by integrating its products, services, and knowledge into a superior quality, comprehensive solution. Visit them at yanmartractor.com backslash new dealer inquiry. So far in this podcast, Jennifer Robison has shared her thoughts on why the retail space is a vital component of a dealership's growth strategy, how to evaluate the look and feel of your dealership, as well as how to get customers to navigate more areas of your dealership. 
Let's get back to the program and hear more from Jennifer about simple and low-cost ways for updating your showroom and how you can track whether the updates are translating into sales. Well, you had brought up the idea of the, of the power sports uh, dealers and the seasonality of their showrooms. Um, can you explain a little bit more about that? There might be some some techniques that could be moved over into the uh, real lifestyle dealership. Ooh, well, there's a lot of things happening in power sports, and and a lot of it has to do with the brands, um, whether it's an apparel brand or it's a motorcycle manufactured brand that are really battling for space in stores. And so you are seeing different companies coming up with different solutions to customize the space outside of um, a hard fixture. So, you know, it kind of depends on what the scale of the product is. I mean, if this is just end cap stuff or is this a 12 foot wall display? Um, there's probably a lot of similarities. We sell a lot of apparel, a lot of soft goods. So that stuff has to move constantly. We have to keep it fresh. The shelf life on any apparel product is very short. The only product that lasts a little bit longer in apparel is what we would call bread and butter items. And maybe for you, for your, for rural life dealers, it would be the safety equipment like vests and coveralls and Carhartts and things of that nature. If you happen to sell some soft goods in the store, that stuff has to really move a lot and, and maintain a freshness to it. What about the idea that, um, you know, dealers think they either, like you said, they don't, they like it the way they, it is. That's one, you know, obstacle they have, or they think they don't have enough money to create a good retail space, or they just don't have enough uh, physical space in the store. What have you heard in terms of some of the um, arguments against um, fixing up a retail space? Well, oh, there's plenty of them. And they're mostly excuses because they really, in a lot of cases, just don't want to make the change. And money, and it really, it's all perception. It's what they perceive that something costs. Some of the costs can be pretty minimal. Like I said, a lot of it could be a couple of weekends or long evenings with the staff making changes. Um, some of it could be simple as, hey, you need a paint job. The stores need to be painted every eight to 10 years. They start get long, getting kind of long in the tooth. Some of it is just cleaning your fixtures, taking them apart, getting rid of the old ones um, that aren't that aren't current or aren't a brand you even carry anymore. You want to remove those fixtures. They tend to leave them there with leftover product. Um, a lot of times it's just obsolete inventory. Um, in power sports, there's a fair amount of dealers that get that get married to inventory that's 12, 24, 36, 48 plus months old. And you do not want that in your showroom. It never goes away. It will eventually sell slowly, but you've got to eliminate that stuff. So a lot of times if you eliminate stale, dead inventory and fixtures alone, you've already made a makeover with some deep cleaning. Sometimes it's a matter of once a year having your tile cleaned or your carpet cleaned. And there's a lot of dealers that do a good job at that. You know, it's, again, it's all perception. Sometimes it's updating your lighting. That's probably the easiest thing to do and the most important thing you can do. Customers hate dark stores and dark spaces in stores. And it doesn't even have to be that dark. You could just have a low light level 
because maybe you went with high bay lights. If you built your building somewhere in the 2000s, those high bay lights were really popular in, in the bigger stores, but they're not, they're general light. They're not, they're not a feature light. They're not task light. So you could even be at the parts counter working with your favorite, you know, uh, person there. And both of you are squinting, trying to see stuff because potentially you're over 40 and your eyes have changed and you've been looking at screens for 25 years and you don't have good lighting to offset that. So lighting is a big one. And now LED lights, there's no excuse not to convert over. Five years ago is a little bit harder, but it's easy. Even all the big box stores have every kind of LED light possible. So if you still are rocking spotlights in your store and you're running the the old, what I like to call ice cream cone fluorescent bulbs. And then you got a spotlight bulb and they're all different. And some are blue light and some are the cool whites. You know, now's the time to go and spend and replace all those bulbs. It, number one, LED is a lot brighter and it's a wider, a cleaner light and you'll never have to replace it. And you're going to probably chuckle at this, but I know there's a lot of stores that don't have air conditioning and they're small little stores, especially if they're rural. And, you know, it won't be as hot in the store with those old incandescent bulbs if you switch to LED as well when you don't have air conditioning on top of it. I run into that in the power sport industry um, a fair amount. Well, I, and I know this is a big topic, but can you just generally talk about maybe some best practices when you, um, in terms of displaying the, the products, you had talked about it, making sure the products are are fresh. Um what about the actual displays, you know, high, you know, just some of those best practices when they're, they're looking to show off their products. Well, I, I'm not a fan of the word, I guess, best practices because everything has a variable to it. So, and I hate giving rules. If you give a rule to a dealer, they will stick with it for life. And then that rule may be not as applicable because something else has changed in the dealership and then they keep doing that rule that they heard at a, at a class and that's why they don't ever change the store. No, I heard you can't do it this way. So let me just start by saying there are no rules, there are guidelines. There's a few things. If it looks bad, you need to change it, right? If it's dirty, you need to clean it. If it's old, you need to eliminate it. If it's too dark, you need to find a way to brighten it up or rearrange the fixtures so it's not a dark space. Sometimes the arrangement of your displays or fixtures causes a darkness or a dead zone. So open it up. Give yourself at least four feet in between every fixture. Um, height rules, you know, there's there are guys out there that will tell you nothing should be too tall so you can see over it. Here's the thing I know about that. If you've got three people at a parts counter and they're knee deep in helping customers, it doesn't matter how tall your fixtures are. Their heads are down. They're in that computer or in that book or on that phone. They're not looking anyways. So if you have some good displays that would be a little bit taller than what somebody maybe told you as a rule that would really sell product and look good in the store, don't not use it. Use those displays. Don't let a dumb rule, and that happens in power sports. No, you can't have anything that's over four and a half feet tall or five feet tall, and that's not true. You want to be able to have sight lines. I'm not saying you should ever block your sight lines, but be realistic about that at the same point in time. Um, don't get stuck with it. You know, you might have had a display that you put in that was really cool 15 years ago, um, it's no longer relevant and doesn't work and makes your, your new product look old. 
So, you know, work with that manufacturer, that supplier to come up with something new or put the new display in the store. Keep things moving forward. Customers like to see progress. They don't expect you to, you know, um, you don't have to have have this um, museum store, uh, but they do want to encounter a store that keeps moving forward. So they bring in new product or they make some changes and um, they just, it gives you more range that way because people are judging you. Unfortunately, it's terrible to say, but they judge you. Oh, they never bring anything new in. Oh, the same old guy always works here or whatever it is, but they're not going to tell you that kind of stuff. They tell you in the form of they're not spending money with you. So if your door swings are really good, and I don't know who counts door swings out there, but if you could and compare it to your ticket sales, you can tell what your saturation rate is. Well, and that was one thing that I wanted to understand better. And thank you for bringing up that point. How do you really know? I mean, they, you know, you talked about a lot about personal preference. So how do you really know if, if what you have out there um, is working, that it's not just appealing to you, but it's appealing to customers and to purchases? What kind of measurements should dealers keep in mind? Uh, well, tur- turns, I mean, you want, you know, the minimum side you want to be is at two turns a year on a product. Um, you know, and everybody's different. I understand that. So it doesn't matter if if you're a small store and you have a small budget, then you want to stock things that are high turning things that people need. So they're probably more related to maintenance items. So it could be the tools, the support tools and the partner accessory that is a common fast and 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 maybe go a little deeper with your quantities you know a little wider with it and and you'll probably do well don't feel like this is what happens in power sports i'm sure it happens on the other side as well is you've got dealers that go well i like selling t-shirts and i like selling coolers and i like selling you know shorts and swimsuits but does swimsuits relate to personal watercraft, but not so much really, you know, riding a motorcycle. You don't need it to ride a motorcycle. It's a fun thing to sell. There's really one time a year when you really want to be stocked up heavily with novelty, and that's just before your season opens or at the holiday time. But I get dealers that will have 20 grand in just novelty stuff. Well, that's fine if you're turning it heavily, but if you're not, it's taking up space in dollars. Uh, You'd be better off putting your money into inventory that is need items so you know you really have to look at your store and like what do we carry that we have to have are we carrying stuff that's no longer relevant anymore because if you are then you gotta you gotta decide to cut it get rid of it or scale back on it and sometimes you don't have a choice i know that the oes you know want you as a dealer to buy x amount of product that's how they make their money and and keep their shareholders happy but You've got you've got to decide, you know, if if you can in turn turn it at a reasonable period of time. And you know, white T-shirts are tough when you you know you don't have the time to to display them properly or keep them clean. So why would you bring them in the store, right? The space is money. So no matter how much space you have, do you feel like all of the products in your store make sense today and now? And if not, what would you like to do about getting out of them? Because you need to. Do some of your dealers get, um, are they seeking feedback from customers or is that just not something that they're, they're comfortable doing? 
Some do. Some people will pull customers. Some people are, you know, you've got, you've, you've always got retailers that are, that are really engaged with customers. And then you have the other ones that just sit behind the counter and wait for the next person to walk in the door. And, um, you know, as somebody who's, who's gone and sold product to, to dealers, you know, when people are purchasing, they make it purchasing decisions from a lot of different places. And most of them are not real experienced um, at purchasing. They tend to make them all about what they like or they and the other people in the store like. And you can't do that. You have to do that as a part of your decision making. So when you're purchasing, you got to think about how quickly you think it will sell, how relevant it is to what you already sell, if there's any competitors that would steal your thunder on this, and um, what the buying requirements are of it. You know, it's really what what do I think the customer will buy, not necessarily what I like. If there's anything I've learned, you know, when I was a retail buyer at, at the Harley-Davidson dealership, you know, and I'll take, give you t-shirts as an example, the things that I like isn't always what all the customers want. You know, they want, they'll like a t-shirt that I think is completely hideous. It might have a wolf on it and a semi with a couple bros riding in the wind. And I wouldn't wear a shirt like that, but there's a bunch of guys that love a shirt like that. So I have to learn to buy things that are not within my taste range because I've got to support the customer or I've got to find something that my customer likes. That is a huge one. When you're a small retailer or an independent or an enthusiast-based retailer, you've got to be very careful about what you're buying and making the choices about the customer and not you. 70% of buying decisions are actually made in store. I know that the internet is a big, big player today, but you know, it has its place, but so does a store. And I think stores are important and especially a rural store because it's a community thing. So a lot of times a rural store represents the community. You've got all these people come together and gather there. So, I mean, you're more than just a store, but, but while they're there, you always have to understand your job is to influence your buyer every time they come in the door. So is it a new product? Is it like an expansion of a product brand? Is it some feature? Whatever it is, show something new. One thing, you know, every month at least, somehow, even as a small store, people love new things. Thank you, Jennifer, for sharing how to build profits through retail sales. You mentioned that dealers need to think about visual merchandising as a business strategy, and you make a critical point regarding retail. Customers like to see progress in the dealerships they visit, and dealers can show that progress through an attractive and current showroom. Once again, if you haven't done so already, you can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or the Google Play Store to get an alert when future episodes are released. And go to www.rulelifestyledealer.com to learn additional best practices regarding achieving excellence throughout your dealership. Again, we'd like to recognize and thank our sponsor, Yanmar, for helping make this Rule Lifestyle Dealer podcast series possible. And please share your feedback on today's program by sending me an email to lwolf at lessetermedia.com. That's L-W-O-O-L-F at lessetermedia.com. 
or call me at 316-648-3717. You can also keep up on the latest rural equipment news and trends by registering online for our e-newsletter and be sure to follow us on Twitter at RLD Editors and on our Rural Lifestyle Dealer Facebook page. Stay tuned for additional podcasts from our experts and dealers. From all of us at Rural Lifestyle Dealer, I'm Lynn Wolf, and thanks for listening.